from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, December 21st. This is episode 35, Let Deadpool Be Deadpool. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined this week by two wonderful guests, culture reporter for Polygon and a first-time Download panelist, Julia Alexander. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. We're going to talk about culture things. Yeah, we stack the deck with panelists this time because of our topics. Because that's so. Thank you for being here. It's great. I've been reading your stuff and uh, for a while now, and I was very excited to. To, I was like, shot in the dark. I wonder if she'd do it. And you're like, yeah, I'll be on. And that's uh, behind the scenes of people who book two guests for a podcast every week. It's very exciting when people say yes. Well, I'm also excited to be here. I'm a big fan of yours. So I'm glad that we can finally <laughs> convene. That's awesome. That's great. Well, thank you. Uh, welcome. Uh, also here back for her second time with us, tech and digital media reporter for The Hollywood Reporter, Natalie Jarvie. Hello, Natalie. Welcome back. Hello. Thanks for having me again. Now, uh, people are like, oh, I see what they're doing. I see what they're going to be talking about. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about lots of things, but especially one big thing. Uh, these are what we say are the most interesting stories of the week. It's the week before Christmas, but we've got uh, big media, tech, business mashup news to talk about. And that's so Stephen Hackett and I decided that that was what we were going to talk about. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. How are you? Uh, doing great. I, I'm a little stressed out because I'm doing a lot of work before Christmas, but and I got to do some more shopping. But, you know, whatever. How about you? Uh, about the same. You know, taking some time off next week, and that means working basically twice as much this week. Yeah, isn't that great? Um, anyway, most interesting story of the week uh, and the month, and who knows, maybe the year, is uh, Disney, which has announced that they now own everything. <laughs> is that how that works? Um, the, the House of Mickey Mouse plans to buy most of Fox, pretty much everything except the Fox TV network. And the national Fox cable channels that cover news, business, and sports. Uh, but it does mean Disney is potentially vacuuming up a huge amount of intellectual property. Uh, yes, that means Bart Simpson and Mickey Mouse would share an owner. Fox Mulder and Nick Fury would share an owner. The people who make Toy Story movies would be employed by the same people who employ uh, the people who make It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, wrap your head around that one. Um, I know Marvel Comics nerds, and I am one of those, are excited about putting the X-Men and the Fantastic Four back with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But if you look at the business side of this and the technology side of this, it has serious ramifications for the consolidation of power in Hollywood. And I mean, there, there's so many different angles to this story, and I want to get to all of them. But I thought maybe we would start with that one, which is Disney, if it buys Fox, is going to be huge with these huge assets and, and all of these different places to put its content and all this content does you know I, i'm curious what both of you think does this make disney too powerful and do you think there's a chance that the government might actually even step in and say you can't you can't do this this is too much power in one company's hands uh, julia what do you think i think that's the big question is whether the government will step in because of concerns over competition and I think it comes down to whether we view this as vertical integration the same way that we did um at&t and warner and I don't think they will. I also think that Bob Iger is pretty confident that there aren't going to be any problems with this to go forward and announce it and have investors calls and have Q&A conversations. Like he's feeling pretty good about this deal. And I think that what, there's going to be complaints from a lot of people, a lot of companies over this. But I don't think personally that Disney is worried that this is going to be overturned by an FTC decision or anything anytime soon. Listen, Rupert Murdoch has a lot of friends in this administration who I'm sure Fair. are Fair. looking out for his interests. Uh, but, you know, to Julia's point, there's not that concern. There's there's not a Comcast or an AT&T in this deal in the same mm -hmm. way that Comcast, NBC, AT&T, Time Warner are dealing with. So that could help them when it comes to uh, passing uh, regulatory muster. Now, it's a huge uh, studio. I mean, one of the one of the funny things here is you end up with a Fox broadcast network that doesn't have any vertical integration anymore with a studio to make its programming. That goes to Disney. And I saw a story that suggested a fairly large number of uh, I forget what how Disney put it a you know a reduction in redundancy and whatever it means people losing their jobs because they they don't need to run two studios when they can run one. Um, uh, from a from a, a, an industry perspective, it is. 
should to, should the people who are making movies and TV shows be concerned about this? I mean, it's one less player. It's uh, it's it's uh, Disney may reduce the output. I read a story that suggested that that you know Disney's philosophy of film release is a lot smaller than Fox's philosophy. Um, I, I mean, I know that that isn't necessarily right down uh, your your wheelhouse, Natalie. But uh, for the Hollywood Reporter, I mean, this is a huge remake, and like who's who's got the money and who's making content, right? It is a really interesting question. And, you know, on the film side, I think there, there's a reason for, for people to be concerned. You're right. Disney makes fewer films. They've also not had a history of doing as well with the kind of smaller indie players, you know, and they'll, they'll be acquiring Fox Searchlight as part of this. So questions around what they will do there. On the TV side, it's interesting though, because we've seen the landscape reach this kind of peak TV moment. And honestly, I don't know that the industry can handle that for much longer. There's just not enough physical bodies and production crew and staff and writers and people to to be filling kind of all the jobs that the TV uh, industry needs right now. And so a a kind of pullback a little bit could actually help, especially as we start to see some kind of newer players like Apple and others get into this space. Mm -hmm. I think we're at a tipping point for television, or as FX's president, uh, John Langraff, will tell you, we've been at that point for a while. And I think the question isn't so much how much Disney is going to look in output of um, film and television, but how Disney plans to work that output into its business plans for streaming going forward. Because I said this um, months ago when the deal was first kind of rumored that this deal has always been about streaming for Disney, in my opinion. I think Disney's looking at having a majority control of Hulu along with its ESPN service launching next year and its standalone family-oriented Disney streaming service. So I think the conversation is what the company plans to do with its digital media landscape, more so than what it plans to do with its film and television. I think Disney will continue to let Fox do Fox things, keep making the movies, will profit off it. Uh, but I think in terms of what they actually want to put their hand on and, and really get going is its presence in digital. Yeah, and I want to—I definitely want to talk more about the streaming strategy here because I, I agree with you. I actually f- I feel like this is a deal that is it, that is made for the future of streaming, and I, I and I want to I want to dive into that. But you said something there that I want to I want to talk about first, which is about letting Fox do what Fox does. One of the reactions I've seen to this deal is people who think of the Disney brand as this incredibly family-friendly brand and the, the, there is this I guess conventional wisdom that the that Disney uh, Disney's brand image clashes with the Fox brand image that you do have like I said it's always sunny in Philadelphia and you're the worst and uh, and you've got Bart Simpson who you know was really rebellious in 1990 although maybe not in 2017 and uh, then you've got the the house of Pixar and Mickey Mouse but you know Disney also owns ABC they own ESPN uh, is it you know is Fox's edgier material a brand problem for Disney? And is it just, I mean, and what are their solutions if they want to keep, they obviously want to keep the value that they're going to be purchasing, but it is not the same kind of stuff that the core Disney brand has. I mean, I think it's it's something that they're going to have to figure out. I don't know if they necessarily know the answer right now. You know, Bob Iker has said that, you know, they'll let, you know, Deadpool continue to be Deadpool and, and that kind of thing, that they won't necessarily change the tone. But we've also seen them, you know, make some really interesting decisions over the last year to preserve their brand. You know, they they struck a deal with Barstool Sports, ESPN <laughs> did, and then very, very quickly, uh, you know, did away with that once they realized it wasn't really in keeping with their brand. Similarly, on the digital side, the minute that, um, you know, their maker studios, which Disney had acquired, the minute their biggest star, PewDiePie, started to you know, make some kind of off color and inappropriate and insensitive jokes. They, they quickly cut ties with them. So w- while they say that they're going to be supportive of that, their actions have shown that they are very protective of their brand. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a really good point, Natalie, about PewDiePie and Maker Studios. And I think what people forget is that Disney isn't, Disney acquires, but they're not looking at everything they acquire in the same way that Apple is not involved in every single business that it acquires. So when you have, when you have people, you have a whole a stake in Make Studios and when you have people like PewDiePie and you don't know what's going on, I think that's what we're going to see with other ventures that Disney's going to do. I think we're going to see that, um, kind of trickle through what Fox owns. So they've addressed the big ones. They've addressed 
Deadpool and they want to keep it going. But I think what Disney will do is very much so, like now said, protect its core values. I doubt that we're going to see Deadpool show up on Disney's family-oriented streaming platform. <laughs> it makes much more sense for Deadpool to be an exclusive on Hulu. It like that makes sense for them. Hey, if you want to watch Deadpool, you have to come to Hulu because we're not. We maybe we don't want to deal with Netflix anymore, even with this deal. And so I think what we're going to see is Disney learning what it counts as its core value, and then figuring out where to put everything else. Does the Fox brand? I mean, obviously the Fox brand is going to be split here because um, Rupert Murdoch and uh, his family are going to walk away with the Fox News Channel, Fox Business Channel, FS1, FS2, and uh, the Fox Network. But the 20th Century Fox Studio um, seems like it might be uh, valuable. Like if you're a fan of that that brand and that the fanfare and the, the little searchlight logo and all of that, you might uh, might be happy that Disney bought. Them because it, it seems like a brand. If you're Disney, you want to keep around so you can say, "Well, that's Fox, right?" Like the the adult fair is over on Fox, and don't get confused by it. Is that is that realistic to think that that might be like a box that they can put more edgy stuff in? Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. It, you know, and and FX is a, a you know great you know kind of cable brand for that kind of thing too. So you know, I. I yeah, they can, I think, figure out how to assume those assets and, and make them work. I'm even interested about what this means going forward for what Disney now owns. I mean, the big question with Fox, but the fanfare comes up with the original Star Wars movie, right? right? I mean, there, there are these questions about, like, what does this mean? Can Disney bring this back to Star Wars? Can they redistribute it? And, I mean, Polygon, we report on genre entertainment. So, I mean, Star Wars for us has been kind of our go-to coverage for the past I mean, year, but for the past two months. And it's interesting that when we talk about Fox and Disney, our audience wants to know what this means for older movies. Like, they want to know what this means for the original Star Wars. And then going forward, they want to know what this means for Alien. Like, is Alien going to be Disneyfied in the same way that, in many people's opinions, Star Wars has? And I think it comes down to Disney not wanting to get involved with big adult franchises. I don't think Disney cares what happens with Alien in terms of content. I think they'll just be happy to reap the benefits of it doing well versus something like Star Wars, which has become so inherently a Disney brand. I think this could have, they could decide, you know, we're going to re-release the original. We're going to bring the fanfare back to the new movies. Like we're going to figure out how we incorporate this going forward, but there's still going to be that divide between this is a Fox staple and we just distribute it versus this is now a Disney staple and we will promote it and inherently make it ours. I do wonder, I mean, if you look at Disney's structure, they have Marvel Studios and they have Pixar and they have Disney Animation. They have these silos, especially for these big franchises like Marvel and Lucasfilm. They've got silos that are basically the brand steward for, for a giant movie franchise. And I look at some of the franchises that are over on the Fox side and you mentioned Alien. That's a, It's sort of, you know, not necessarily in the best shape right now. And, and the, the most two recent Alien movies were not particularly well received you've got a, a lot of avatar movies coming out um i i don't i mean this is pure speculation but i do wonder sometimes if disney might come in and say why don't we start applying some of the same principles to some big franchises that fox owns that we do with i mean it evolved this way but like there is lucasfilm does star wars that's all they do they're star wars incorporated and marvel studios does the marvel universe and that's all they do and who knows maybe i don't know they, they could do something like that with some of the fox franchises and sort of set up i mean i'm not sure fox has a franchise that can match those two but like avatar or alien and i'm sure there are others too that they could say this is actually better served with its own dedicated uh as a star trek fan i think that about paramount with star trek it's the same way which is like wouldn't it be nice if there was a real like a company dedicated to be star trek incorporated and in fact there's not there's i mean maybe it's cbs but they don't get to make movies so I don't know. I don't know. I do. I do wonder if the Lucasfilm, if that's an aberration to have Lucasfilm and Marvel Studio, or if they Disney might think that's a business model to and Pixar the same way. Well, I think Avatar is really interesting because Disney is releasing or opening up uh, Pandora, the world right. of Avatar, at Disney World. So there's already that kind of integration, and you're already seeing them do that there. Now that was a licensing deal when they, you know, announced that they would be doing that. But you know, now that they've got the Avatar, um, you know, IP, they they could easily, you know, do to Avatar what they've done with 
Star Wars and others, assuming that, you know, James Cameron finally makes all these Avatar movies that um, he's supposed <laughs> yeah. to be making. But, you know, that that is, you know, interesting IP that you could see kind of get Disney-fied, I would imagine. I totally agree. I think Avatar, out of all the properties that are IPs, you say Fox owns, is probably the closest to what Disney would want to Disney-fy, um, for lack of a better word. Um, and I think it's already kind of happening. I mean, Bob Iger spoke about this during a Q&A once the deal was announced that he, spoken, he spoke to Cameron the morning that they made the deal. You know, James Cameron's very happy, apparently, with what Disney has done with the park, with what they've done with Pandora. And so, I mean, I think that's already kind of beginning. Like, they're already looking into how can we make this its own property? Like, does James Cameron want to keep doing this long-term in the same way that Lucasfilm has very long-term plans for Star Wars. That's a conversation that I think we'll see happen more and more as the deal comes to fruition, and we'll see how the next Avatar is received, if it ever (laughs) comes out. Um, And I do think one of the questions I have about IP is is The Simpsons. I mean, that's Mm. a big one on everyone's mind is, The Simpsons needs to end eventually. It can't Mm -hmm. keep going. And at that point, it makes more sense for Disney not to continuously renew it, but just incorporate it into their theme parks. Like, just figure out a way to turn the Simpsons brand into a very real, tangible thing that people can uh, interact with at a theme park versus putting out lackluster seasons over and over again and having to deal with critics asking, how long is this going to continue going? So I think the Simpsons and Avatar, for me, are the most interesting Fox IPs now that Disney has control over it because it's just... They're very important and they can go either way for the company. I think too with The Simpsons, I mean, of course, this all kind of depends on whether or not, you know, the the creative team involved would want to continue working. But like they have created such a world around The Simpsons, you know, where they could easily, if if Disney decided not to, you know, keep the the Simpsons in its kind of original state going, there's so many spin-offs and, you know opportunities to to use the IP that's been created there and, and build something else and, and kind of keep it within that world, much the way that they're doing with Star Wars. So that could be really interesting too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean- the uh, I think it's the FXX uh, app that has the or it's the FX app that has the content from FX and FXX on it. The two channels, confusingly named, um, has the, there's basically a Simpsons channel on there streaming the Simpsons all the time when you've got 500 episodes of the Simpsons or whatever it is now. Um, you know, I'm not sure they need to add more to that catalog. I, I think you make a, re- a great point that there are other things they could do with the Simpsons. It's a brand now. It's a very powerful brand and new 20 new episodes on the fire every year doesn't necessarily make it any better. I mean, it's I mean, right. if I'm Disney and I want to figure out how to best monetize the Simpsons short term, like at least or at least just now right now, I would take it off the FX app and I'd make it a Hulu exclusive and yeah. like you're you're, you're going to drive people who want to watch The Simpsons to Hulu. They'll pay, I can't remember what the, I think it's eight or nine dollars. Like they'll pay eight or nine dollars a month for Hulu to watch The Simpsons because they can no longer get it on this FX app. And I think Disney, now that it has a controlling stake in Hulu, is going to figure out ways to push people to go to Hulu if they can. I want to talk about Hulu more. Uh, but before we do that, I want to take a really quick break for one of our sponsors. This episode of Download is brought to you in part by Hover. Building your online identity has never been more important. With Hover, you find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you're passionate about. I have lots of domains at Hover when I was setting up my website, all on my own, sixcolors.com. I went to Hover. I registered a bunch of domains that were like fallbacks. And then I got when I got the uh, the main domain, I transferred it over to Hover. I've got book projects on Hover. Um, and, the, the, you know, basically the idea here is I want to have a simple place I can tell somebody, go to sixcolors.com and you see my website. And it's that simple. That's that's what having your own domain gives you. You don't have to be underneath anybody else's umbrella. Even if you're using a hosting service or whatever, it doesn't matter. Your domain is your identity. Uh, Hover offers no upsells. They have a clean user interface. They've got personalized email that matches your domain so that all your emails can also come from your domain. Uh, more than 400 domain name extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche ones like .space. Stephen and I have a .space domain. It's, uh, it's fun and exciting. Um, if you want to show the world what you're passionate about, Hover is there to help you make that first step. Go to hover.com slash download FM now, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you to Hover for supporting download. 
before we talk about Hulu, I, I just I'm going to throw it out there. Sometimes I wonder to myself if uh, all the brand image problems of oh oh Disney owns Deadpool would go away if they had just not decided not to call the big company Disney. But you know they're stuck with it now. Disney means family friendly and also giant conglomerate that owns everything. If they had been like ABC Entertainment Incorporated or something, and Disney was the subsidiary, uh, maybe nobody would have this conversation because Disney would just be kind of in a silo. But Disney Disney is the silo in <laughs> containing everything, so they got to deal with that. Um, uh, Hulu. So by buying Fox, uh, Disney's going to own sixty percent of Hulu, which doesn't give them complete control, I guess, because it sounds like all of the members of the consortium have to agree, all the board members, before a major change is is done. And the other partner there is Comcast, right? That that's on the board. And I guess I guess Time Warner Cable has ten percent, but they don't have a board member. So where does you know where does Hulu go? Does it does uh, Disney drive? it does it does comcast put up a fight uh you know i I'm, I'm curious because it seems like a logical place for a lot of rather than launching yet another streaming service for disney to put a lot of their catalog stuff so i've done a lot of reporting on the the whole kind of you know corporate structure of hulu and one thing to note from from the way i understand it disney will have to run any structural changes to the business by comcast so that means like disney can't change the name of hulu to Disney streaming service at, without getting Comcast's approval. They can't change the number of board seats that they have. Those kinds of really c- structural, fundamental things to the business, they can't change. But there are a lot of things that they can do about how the business operates on a day-to-day level without giving getting Comcast's approval. So that will be interesting to see. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, would not surprise me that Comcast has been eyeing Hulu as, you know, so it has not been able to have an active board seat on Hulu since it, or NBC has not been able to since Comcast acquired it a few years back. That's going to expire in 2018. They will get a board seat again. So, I think there's been a lot of people kind of expecting them to make a big move when it comes to Hulu once they're able to take that more active position. And they've got to be frustrated that Disney came in and got this controlling stake before they were able to do that. Uh, so the question is, do they, do they keep their stakes so that they can kind of keep a rein on what Hulu's doing and make sure that Disney doesn't completely take it over and make it a Disney product? Or do they say, okay, we can't we can't make this into the stream the Comcast NBC streaming service that we wanted to make it into. So we'll sell our stake and we'll go put our you know eggs in a different basket. That's going to be the big question this next year. So I think that's exactly the conversation that's happening. I was speaking to a um, colleague at The Verge, Chris Welch, about this, and the idea that NBC uh, Comcast NBC Universal could just say we're going to launch our own streaming service equivalent to CBS's All Access and just keep all of our, our our catalog of shows and develop new series specifically for that is not out of the question. I mean, CBS All Access has problems, but they've seen what having a show like Star Trek can do for it. Um, and I think that is a viable thing for them. If, if it gets to the point where they are being outnumbered by Disney on a lot of decisions and they just can't do anything about it, I don't see why NBC, uh, why Comcast would stay if they can just leave and, and give Hulu to Disney. I mean, Hulu's got 12 million subscribers at last count, I believe. And and that's a lot, but it's not, it's not like it's Netflix. It's a hundred million. It's not like, okay, well, this is basically the only streaming service that kind of matters in our eyes. Uh, so I'm interested to see what they plan to do once Disney does get involved. Cause there are a couple of avenues open to them. The one thing that, that they'll have to consider though, is that they have already put a lot of resources into Hulu. I mean, a lot of NBC shows are exclusive to Hulu. They just did a big, they've done a couple big deals this year, one for This Is Us and one for uh, Will and Grace. So, you know, they could decide to go start their own service, but those deals, they can't just pull their content off of Hulu tomorrow. They'd have to wait for those deals to expire and they're probably multi-year deals. So that could be one thing that will keep them in the Hulu business for a little while longer is that they've already pumped a lot of resources into that business and into seeing it succeed. I got to wonder too, if, um, 
I mean, one of the things Comcast is probably thinking is, what does Disney want Hulu to be? And if Disney wants Hulu to grow as a streaming service with a particular target audience and a particular demographic in mind, it's possible that Comcast will say, you know what, we're better off putting this you know segment of our programming in Hulu where it's going to match and it's going to ride along with you know Disney and maybe other partners putting content on it. Maybe that is a, a better play and we're, we're better off focusing our own streaming strategy, the rest of it somewhere else or they could totally do a cbs and take their ball and go home i mean this is this is comcast we're talking about they own a lot of stuff too they could build their own thing uh just as well i I think that's the question of it comes back to what does disney want hulu to be uh assuming that disney wants to keep it going i mean hulu is an established brand It, it has some subscribers it's it's known it's got an infrastructure it's got a payment system right like it it is an up it's easier said than done to set up a complex subscription streaming service they've already got their over-the-top stuff built where you can subscribe to Hulu and get live TV. So I assume that Disney is going to want to kind of just uh, embrace Hulu and and take it to the next level. Is that a bad assumption or is that the most likely scenario here is that they're going to they're not going to kind of like say, well, Hulu, whatever, they're going to they're going to make it uh, more. I think it'd be pretty short-sighted for them to come in and say, ah, we're not interested in Hulu. We want to, you know, focus on our Disney streaming service because to your point, yeah, 12 million plus subscribers. That was, you know, that was a, a year and a half ago that they announced that subscriber number. So it should probably be a little bit more than 12 million. Uh, that's a, that's a good foundation, especially since Hulu's only in the U.S., um, which is something to, to note uh, versus, yeah. you know, Netflix is 109 million subscribers worldwide. Um, that's a really good base for Disney to use to market a Disney-specific family-friendly streaming service and an ESPN sports streaming service. I mean, we've already seen Hulu do these deals where you, you know, you have your Hulu subscription and, you know, for an extra 10 or 15 bucks a month, you can get Showtime or HBO. You can do these add-ons. So why not make Disney streaming service an add-on to Hulu? And if you're already a Hulu subscriber, you get Disney streaming service at a discount or whatever, you know, that's a great marketing tool for them. And combined, they become much more powerful and have a much stronger ability to take on a Netflix and an Amazon and an Apple, whatever Apple does, as opposed to trying to focus on Disney and only Disney family friendly taking on those, those companies. So, and that's exactly it, like what Bob Iger has said repeatedly. Every time there's an investor's call, Hulu gets brought up and they ask him if he's happy. And he always says that we believe in Hulu. We really see a future for Hulu. We're invested in Hulu. So Disney's not just going to. Um, wave it off. This is for them is a long term investment that they have that they are very very um, interested in pursuing. At the same time, he said during the recent Q and A that down the line, there's no reason why a bundled option, how they approach that uh, is unclear, but a bundled option couldn't exist. And it makes sense if you have a family friendly streaming service, which is Disney standalone. And then you've got an adult-oriented one, which is Hulu, and then a sports package in ESPN. I mean, you're basically redefining what a cable package Uh used to be Mm -hmm. and selling it as streaming. And Disney has both the content and marketing capabilities to make sure that kind of happens. And I think that will be interesting because that will kind of be the first, like, huh, I do want Star Wars, but I also want to watch the Lakers play and then watch family guy afterwards yeah i mean all the all the parents of kids are adults right so so when, when we talk about family friendly like the the, the parents probably want to watch things that aren't on the kids st- service too right so i do think there's a natural fit there the one thing uh, i think that we will need to watch is you know so some analysts who are, are smart have figured out based on disclosures in the comcast and disney earnings that hulu probably lost you know a, a good chunk of money um, this last year. It's been an investment, not a you know a profitable business. Disney, by assuming Fox's stake, also assumes more of those losses and has to you know put up more money to continue to grow that business. So it will be really interesting to see if Hulu continues to you know enjoy that kind of investment um, mode that they've been in over the last few years. 
you know, after Hulu's corporate owners decided not to sell it uh, a few years ago, they invested a pretty sizable amount of money in that business. And that's really what's been able to fuel their push into original programming and, and their move to make things like The Handmaid's Tale. And so we'll be really interesting to see if Disney continues to support that or if, you know, Hulu's maybe kind of big original programming ambitions get kind of put to the side while Disney focuses on using Hulu for, you know, to build its own kind of streaming business. Right. Although that's, I mean, I guess that's the question is, is Hulu more about original content? Is it more about uh, content from other providers kind of getting recycled? Or is it about uh, a con- being a container for other services? And that, that's a that's a tricky proposition, right? Like, do you do Hulu? If you're, if you're Disney, do you fund Hulu originals? Or do you have those go to your streaming service that you then upsell inside Hulu? I don't know. That's it's it gets really complicated really fast. Yeah, we had a, a few conversations um, at Vox Media in general across a number of websites about what we found to be disappointing um, in 2017. And one of the names that kept coming up was Netflix because there was so much original content this year. Some of it was great, but a lot of it was mediocre. And I remember one of my colleagues saying, I just wish Netflix would slow down and figure out what they really want to push out and take time to really develop these good ideas and don't worry about the mediocre ones. And I feel like one of the reasons why I returned to Hulu time and time again is because all the shows that I wanted to watch from, you know, like if I want to watch How I Met Your Mother, or if I just want to watch a show that isn't new, but I, it's comfort television, they're all moving to Hulu. Like they're all migrating to Hulu and Netflix, the exception of Friends, doesn't have as many that I that I want. And so I think Hulu has this advantage of having a really, a few, a few, especially The Handmaid's Tale, quality original series. But I also view Hulu personally as my go-to for like comfort television now. It's my go-to to watch old shows again, um, or with the exception of a few like Rick and Morty, they get uh, new new episodes on Hulu. But I do think it's a good question about whether Disney wants to invest in new original series for Hulu versus just using it as a place to catalog stuff. Mm. Here's all of our archive shows. Here's your comfort television. Go watch it here. All the original series that you kind of want to watch of major properties, which is Marvel and and Star Wars, those are going to be on our standalone app. Like you have to go here to watch them. We are seeing the TV industry move toward this, you know, vertical integration that, you know, Fox is only going, Fox Studios are only going to sell shows to Fox Network. That will mm-hmm. be messy now that those two are, are being broken up, um, but, you know. ABC Studios would only sell to ABC. You know, what's interesting is that we've already seen Hulu kind of become that opportunity. Like when, you know, the Mindy project got canceled, um, the, it was, it was moved to Hulu so that it could continue to run. Now that Disney has Hulu as, as another platform, if ABC passes on a show that, you know, ABC Studios is making, they could always move it to Hulu. So, you know, there could still be life for Hulu originals. It just may be that they're all coming from, you know, Disney Fox Studios. I do wonder about a future where um, broadcast TV, which still, you know, reaches, despite it getting smaller all the time, still reaches a broad audience. There's a lot of people. I do wonder if our the future of broadcast TV is find the audience for a show and then move it to streaming where you can get that audience to pay for it. And, you know, the Mindy Project is sort of mid-cycle it moved. Star Trek Discovery, they ran the pilot and then moved it. But I do wonder sometimes, it's like, well, you got a huge network audience. What if the plan, if it doesn't become a mega hit, is after a year or two, you just put it on streaming and monetize the, the you know, cult audience or the mid-level audience? I don't know if that's realistic in terms of the economics of it, but it, you know, uh, streaming, that's the advantage of it is like, well, you, you know, not enough people like this for us to sell ads around it, but we can, we can get people to pay for it, then it's worth continuing to make it. I don't know. Um, I want to talk about more about Netflix and what this means for Netflix and also Apple, which is gearing up to do its own thing and maybe even something like what CBS is doing. Um, let me take a really quick break for sponsor number two this week, which is App Optics. Application monitoring shouldn't break the bank. App Optics is a next generation application performance management system. It's built specifically to help developers 
and DevOps teams trace distributed transactions throughout their very complex environments. It includes broad APM language support with auto instrumentation. It's simple and easy to use for infrastructure monitoring, and it's all built in and all supported by a large open community. Plans start at just $7.50 a month. You can learn much more at appoptics.com slash download. Thanks to AppOptics for sponsoring download. Um, my first thought when this all happened, when I thought about uh, the size of a Disney-Fox combination, the Hulu uh, 60% ownership, and remembering that uh, ABC recently or Disney recently bought out a majority stake in BAMTech, which was Major League Baseball's streaming infrastructure, which not exciting for people, people easy for people to miss, especially if you're not a sports fan, but they're like cutting edge in terms of serving video streams and HBO Go uses them. They, they are a, a really impressive tech company that came out of baseball and uh, Disney owns it essentially. So uh, I started to think like, wow, this is about the future of streaming and they have a lot of streaming assets. They've already announced that they're doing two uh, Disney streaming services, one for sports with ESPN and one a family oriented Disney streaming service and they're going to own a Hulu and they have BamTech. And I thought, I wonder, I mean, obviously Netflix has been hedging against this for a while, but I did have that moment where I thought Netflix, as big as it is, as much as it seems like the giant of streaming and it totally is right now, it's also kind of out on an island they, they're just you know they're just netflix and they're losing a lot of their catalog because a lot of their their program suppliers don't want to be in business with them anymore when they could be in you know they can put on hulu or a property that they already own so you know is netflix going to transform as a result of this and if i'm netflix should i be concerned that i'm going to get that the big boys are now playing in my uh, in my space and 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 i might get swamped what do you think if you're Netflix, pretend, Julia, pretend you're Netflix. What happens now? <laughs> so I think that Netflix, um, during sometimes boring investors calls, Netflix always gives me a little soundbite that I always appreciate. And I think mm-hmm. one of my favorites in recent, in I think, God, recent weeks, might be months now, uh, was Ted Sarandos, who's Netflix's chief content officer, said, uh, Disney, you know, we're not worried about Disney living. Disney's doing their own thing. And then very bluntly said, I don't even think Disney, Disney knows what it's doing. Um, I think Netflix, if I'm Netflix, I'm not concerned right now because I've got, I've got a vision of what I want the next three or four years to be. And I like, they want to do original content. They're trying to get more licensing deals. They're trying to do, but they're trying to cut down on aggregating less content. So I think they're in their own world. I think their opinion on what Disney is will do is going to change in a year or so, maybe even a year and a half when we start seeing this ha- the effect, when we start seeing what Hulu is looking to become, when we start seeing how they want to compete. But for Netflix, I mean, they have their own brand. I mean, for D- Disney's Marvel show is equivalent at this point to Netflix's Stranger Things. Like, they're not super concerned based on the reaction. Reed Hastings is not concerned about what's happening. I think Netflix is so far ahead of everyone in streaming that it's going to take a while to catch up. So no, I, if I'm them, I'm not too worried about this just yet. Another really great nugget from one of those Netflix earnings calls. Honestly, they're the most entertaining earnings calls that yes. I feel like I get to listen to. <laughs> um, Reed Hastings recently said that he doesn't worry about any of the other competition. Netflix's biggest competition is sleep. So, you know, wow. that kind of tells you the position that they, that they've taken when it comes to this kind of thing. But, you know, it's true. They are the biggest one out there. They're the guy to beat. Um, I don't think that they should get complacent. Uh, but Mm-mm. you know, they're, they're sitting in a really good place. Again, Hulu is a, a U.S. based streaming service. They've never indicated, aside from a, a dalliance with Hulu Japan, they've never really indicated indicated that they want to be international. So Netflix will always, you know, kind of continue to, um, you know, have that, that global dominance. Um, one thing that is really interesting though, I mean, and they've talked about this openly, you know, they're looking to get to a point where 50% of what is on their service is Netflix owned, Netflix original, and 50% exactly. is licensed. Now that might actually be a goal of theirs. That might be a goal that they came up with after they realized that a lot <laughs> of these big studios were taking content away from them, but they're moving in that direction. And it's really interesting because we're starting to see them strike a bunch of overall deals with creators. So, you know, the, the big one was that they lured Shonda rhymes away from ABC. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they've also struck a deal with uh, Genji Kohan, uh, who uh, has um, 
Orange is the new black, but also um, produces glow for them. So they're starting to really shore up talent. And, you know, they, they've got this really interesting proposition. It's like, you know, come work for Netflix. We, we have all the money in the world. We'll basically let you do whatever they want, uh, whatever you want. Um, I know I was talking with one of their executives about the fact that, you know, they first started working with Aziz Ansari uh, because he did a stand up special for them. And then in those conversations, he said, Hey, I have this idea for a show and it became master of none. They're able to do that in a way that a lot of other places aren't. And that mm-hmm. I think is really compelling to creators. So they're going to continue to be the place that creators want to go to and the place that, you know, these, these big name showrunners and writers want to work with. And that will, I think, help them even as they start to see more competition. And to Natalie's point, I think it's really, I think it's important that Disney, in my opinion, has every intention to go international with Hulu if they can figure out how to do it. Like they, mm-hmm. that's, they want to expand. I mean, Amazon, Amazon expanded up into Canada recently, uh, right around the time when they announced that they were bringing the grand tour on, like they, they had like Amazon's like, we're going to go North. We're going to expand outside the U S I think Netflix, what we're seeing is them actually develop for international audience. They've kind of hit a wall with a, a North American, specifically American audiences. And they're saying we want to develop for big markets that are underserved, like India and Japan and our, and our Asian markets in general. So I think the question with streaming is they want to go global. I also think it's really interesting that when we have conversations about streaming, we think of these really big kind of prestigious networks like Hulu, Disney is now stepping into that world like Netflix and everyone kind of ignores YouTube unless Mm. it comes up negatively. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Disney ignored YouTube until they had to get involved with PewDiePie. They had a, they had a stake in it in, in, um, in maker, but they weren't concerned with what was happening. And I think it's really interesting listening to YouTube executives talk about how they view streaming, where mm-hmm. it's kind of like, we want user-generated content. We've got billions of views. We have this market of creators that have millions of followers. And so I think what will be interesting to see in the next five, ten years is how companies like Disney now, Disney, Netflix, and Hulu, start reacting to YouTube's kind of continued growth I think they're trying to figure out how to get that level of interaction and daily viewership at this point. Yeah, YouTube is still the largest video platform out there. Most of it's free and it's short form, but that cannot be ignored. And, you know, they're they're figuring out their original programming strategy. And I, I think they seem to have a little bit of Netflix envy right now, which I'm not sure is really the right direction for them to go. If given that they've been so successful kind of carving out this, this really big niche for themselves as, you know, this place for kind of youth programming and, you know, online creators and all of that. But, but if they figure out that strategy, then they can yeah, absolutely be, um, a much more, um, competitive force, uh, you know, in this kind of landscape of, of peak TV. It it does feel to me like YouTube's biggest risk is, um, and I think that it's not, I mean, I don't think they're going to go away, but, uh, is trying to be something they're not and, and thinking, Oh, for prestige reasons, for ego reasons, we want to be more like Netflix when that's a little bit like saying, uh, you know, uh, even though reality TV got us where we are now, we're going to go into prestige scripted uh, content. It's like, maybe not, maybe you should stick. I know you might feel bad about being great at reality TV, but you're great at it. Maybe you should stick with it and uh like i have two teenagers and they watch youtube all the time my son especially who's 13 loves youtube stuff and they talk they tell me about the memes that they're that are passing through youtube and they're watching game videos and it's it's great stuff but it's not scripted content it's a very different thing and i've seen with my daughter that when she turned about 15 um Netflix uh, took over from YouTube as the number one source of video for her because she discovered scripted content she liked and she dove in. And now she watches Netflix and Hulu. She watches sitcoms. She watches uh, she's she's on uh, Riverdale now because she watched the first mm-hmm. season of that. And that's that moment where I thought, OK, this is not going to be a YouTube world. Now, YouTube is still huge and important. But I had that moment where I thought, I'm not sure YouTube as a brand needs to do original scripted content, nor do I... 
am I sure that they would succeed at it? And it doesn't mean they don't have an amazing business that everybody uses and loves and is going to continue. Like not, I don't know. I get why business executives want to own everything and conquer the world, but not every service needs to be everything, right? I don't know. Two things I think could happen that are going to influence how Disney goes forward with kind of original series and how they incorporate their own YouTube stars. Because they do. They have investment in YouTube stars that they want to bring into scripted programming. But two things have happened that will impact this. One, Bob Iger learned the hard way that (laughs) Disney cannot innovate in every field. And you just look at video games. Disney learned it was better to license than develop their own games. And two... Disney learned that YouTube and YouTube stars are volatile because they don't belong to anyone. They're going to say what they want to say. So investing in a PewDiePie or investing in a number of different personalities comes with a lot of concern over what will happen. And so I think what we'll see happening is Disney will take its its, its kind of stars that it really does believe in and bring them onto streaming. They will try to bring the YouTube audience to the Disney platform. But... I think they're going to back out of a lot of other things to do that. They did something really interesting over the summer. Uh, they they basically revived the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, they gave it kind of a, a fresh name. It was like Club Mickey Mouse or something like that. And they basically found a bunch of up-and-coming YouTube stars or social media stars. Um, now, they, they ran it mostly on Facebook. I didn't really hear a lot of people talk about it. I'll be honest. I never watched anything that they did. But that's really interesting. You know, Disney has had a great long history of discovering amazing talent and whether through Mickey Mouse Club or through the Disney Channel and turning those people, you know, those, those kids into stars. Uh, and I think that there's potential there for them to do that with some of these up and coming YouTubers or, you know, social media stars. It's just figuring out how to do it in, you know, 2017, soon to be 2018, you know, I think they're still trying to do it the way that they would have done it in the early 2000s with, you know, high school musical and that type of thing. And they've got to figure out how to bring it into, you know, the YouTube age. But, but that could be really an interesting, kind of pipeline of talent for them um and if they can figure out how to how to capture that and one of my big uh surprise delights of 2017 is the netflix uh show american vandal and the star of that is jimmy tatro who has you know three million youtube subscribers and he's a youtuber who became uh the star of a scripted series and he did a great job he's an incredibly talented person and i thought okay there's the talent pipeline from youtube i can i can see it i i understand it it's definitely there if you do it right well so that's what something that's interesting is netflix has actually been really good at that i mean you know the american vandal 100 percent. you know that was and that was produced by funny or die so it makes sense that it had its roots in in you know kind of youtube and digital talent uh, but, you know, look at 13 Reasons Why. That was a massive hit for Netflix. And the whole time I kept thinking, why didn't YouTube buy that? That would have been the perfect scripted show for YouTube to really hang its hat on. And I asked their uh, head of content about it, and she said that they weren't willing to spend the money that Netflix was willing to spend on it. Netflix wanted to do a really big budget teen show. And YouTube's head of content, uh, Suzanne Daniels, comes from the WB. You know, she's used to doing Dawson's Creek and Roswell. And she was like, listen, I didn't spend that kind of money on those shows. Why would I have spent it on this one? But, you know, that's, that's, I think, where, you know, YouTube's thinking kind of, you know, hurts them. They need to, if they're going to, if they want to play with Netflix, that's, they've got to be willing to say, yeah, we're going to do a big budget teen show because that's clearly what people want. Um, and really kind of like, you know, stake their claim in that space. And that's where Disney has the most to gain. Disney will spend money. Like they don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> they will spend a lot of money. Um, and if they want to develop that kind of audience, there's no reason that they won't. And if they want to develop that audience for a, for a, a digital streaming, platform audience, then they will dominate. They will have the opportunity and the chance to dominate that area. I think it's interesting looking at when you talk about money, because Netflix invests, Disney invests. And I think up until this year, I've written about, I've written about this a lot in Polygon. Google kind of forgot that YouTube was a, an active platform that they should invest in and pay attention to until this year when YouTube got a lot of flack for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Google was like, right, we own YouTube. We should be paying attention to this. And the creator base, like I was talking to, I talked to a lot of creators and like the team at Smosh, which is one of the biggest teams on YouTube still, like they're kind of trying to figure out what YouTube Red is. They're trying to figure out how to still create free content for their 
fans. They're trying to figure out whether they should do a Hulu deal. And I think like that, what we'll see happen is the streaming services and the independent YouTube creators figure out how to work together in coming years. And Disney has the potential now with Hulu and with their standalone streaming service to really invest in these talents and figure out how to incorporate them into scripted series. Yeah, Hulu's already done a little bit of that. They've got a couple shows. They have one with the Rocket Jump team that did Video Game High School, which was a popular YouTube series. They have another show called Freakish that stars a bunch of YouTubers. So it'll be interesting to see if Disney really leans into that and and does more with that um, kind of pocket of content that, that Hulu's been supporting. Well, and YouTube's biggest star right now, I mean, like if we look at trends of 2017, was a Disney kid. It was, Jake Paul was mm-hmm. on a Disney show <laughs> and he played a vlogger and now he's YouTube's, I would argue, most important person of 2017. And it's funny that Disney... You know, Disney had to fire him because of issues off, off, off. Like they were not related to the show because of his own pranks. He was having too many house parties. (laughs) Too many house parties. But I think like they realized, hey, YouTube is a thing, and there are people that we want that who will watch them, and let's invest in them and put them in our shows. And I think Jake Paul's a great example of what that looks like. Yeah, all the YouTube creators right now are dealing with how to be more brand safe given some of the um, kind of issues that you alluded to, Julia. So, you know, it... It, Disney would be smart to find the ones who are who are doing it right, who are being exactly. brand safe, and bring those into its network. So, uh, any conversation about money and streaming, and I have heard those stories, and I know you have too, of uh, of people like uh, John Landgraf at FX saying, uh, "Yeah, we wanted that show, but Netflix outbid us for it. Netflix spends a lot of money. Apple has a giant pile of cash that they just roll <laughs> around in at night, and they are very clearly launching their own video service in 2018 or 2019. Um, and I, I'll, I'll note that they made the deal." with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. They have made a deal with Steven Spielberg and mm-hmm. they, they have now made a deal with um, uh, Ron Moore is going to run a show and they went again, jumping right over pilot. They gave, I think uh, the uh, Aniston Witherspoon show a two year commitment. It's un- I don't know if I heard, I assume it's just a one, a full season commitment to the Ron Moore show, but um, more broadly, like Apple drops in here. Where do they fit in, in all this? Are they trying to basically be kind of like a little net? Netflix? What, what do you think Apple is, is uh, ultimately going to roll out? It's a great question. That's the biggest, mm-hmm. my biggest question of 2018. We'll be like, what does this Apple product actually look like? Because no one really knows. You call it a streaming service, but to date, all the original programming that they've uh, greenlit, uh, Carpool Karaoke and the like, has gone and has funneled through Apple Music. Right. Uh, you know, do I think that, that makes sense for a you know drama about a daytime talk show starring Jennifer Aniston? Probably not. But you know, it's hard to build a streaming service. We've seen that with. A number of them that kind of uh, went away in 2017, CISO from NBC, um, full screen, uh, you know. So I, they've got to figure that out. And, and they haven't messaged to anyone yet whether or not they have. So we'll see. Uh, but they certainly have the money and they're willing to spend. And they're Apple. You know, you go back to this kind of brand. They've got the, you know, kind of most uh, beloved brand out there these days. I feel like most creators... Uh, a lot of the, you know, the agents and people that I've talked to about them says, of course, we want to be the first hit for Apple. Of course, we want to be their first big show. So they're going to be able to get a lot of people to come work for them just purely on that, you know, kind of promise or opportunity. There's a, a lot of questions about this. And like Natalie said, it, I mean, there's just <laughs> there, what Apple plans to do next year will be a surprise to a lot of people. But I mean, I think if we go back to comments made, I think in February by Tim Cook and company's uh, CFO, Luca Maestri, they want to invest in services and services for them means Apple Music, it means the App Store, and it means exclusive television streaming. And I think for them, like they're trying to figure out how to do that. Does that mean incorporating Apple Music subscribers to kind of launch this so there is a platform? Does that mean doing an entirely different streaming service? I saw a conversation on Twitter that I thought was interesting, and that was the idea that iTunes was created as a way to sell iPods, and I and Apple wanted to sell hardware and they used software to do it, and the question is whether this will be the same kind of thing. Will original series, if they're on the same level as Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad, sell iPhones and iPads? And I don't think that's what they're trying to do, but I do think that they, they've carved out this amazing 
name for themselves in hardware. And I think they want to do the same thing with television and software. I think they want to be known as a platform, as a company that creates really good, prestigious television. And that's why we're seeing Sony um, veterans go over to Apple. It's why we're seeing them team up with a lot of really interesting names to develop original series. But whether or not that launches as a streaming service that we think of in the same light as Hulu or Netflix is very, it's a good, it's a good question. I don't think anyone knows. Julia, it's interesting you, you talk about this idea that, yeah, could they be using this to sell more, you know, iPads or iPhones? I also think like we should be looking at like, should, are they using this to sell more Apple TVs? You mm-hmm. know, that's a really competitive space and Apple has been, uh, you know, kind of distant, uh, fourth, I think behind Roku and Chromecast and Amazon <laughs> Fire. I'm sure that they want to, you know, own the living room more than they have. Um, and it's very interesting. All of, all of my Apple devices now have this Apple TV app. Um, and right now it's used mostly just to funnel content from participating partners. Um, so that, you know, instead of having to go directly to, you know, the, and I don't know if they're a partner necessarily, but instead of going directly to the FX app, I can just go to the Apple TV app and it'll tell me, we know you just recently watched this episode of Atlanta. Come watch the next one. That could be a really interesting place for them to start putting original programming. Um, they'll just have to figure out how to, how to paywall it. In a way that, you know, that app is still compelling to people, but once they get them into that ecosystem, come pay a little extra, you'll get all of these Apple originals too. And, you know, you, people are watching video on their phones, but uh, again, these big dramas, like a space drama from Ronald D. Moore, I imagine people are going to be watch, wanting to watch those on their TV. And this could definitely be Apple's move to try to get more people to, you know, pay, pay for an Apple device that's going to sit in their living room. These companies develop, a lot of times develop series as a way to sell other products. I mean, Jeff Bezos told, I believe it was at Code Conference, I believe he said, we know that people who sign up for Amazon Prime, specifically for television or, uh, or movies, end up shopping on the site and that they'll they buy more spend money. Paper. Exactly. And so for him, it's like, we have one section that helps the other out. We're going to invest in studios because investing in studios means that we're investing in the retail in, the, in our retail side as well. I think Apple is kind of in the same boat where it's like, why not do both? Why not have the prestigious acceptance of speech at, at the Emmys and then also sell Apple TVs? Yeah, I think that's always the the big question is how does it play with the company's entire portfolio? You, you mentioned the TV app and right now partners have to partner with Apple to get their stuff in there. So Amazon Prime is there, but Netflix is not. And something like the Apple TV needs some sort of I think some sort of universal layer where a user doesn't have to think, I want to watch this show, what of these nine services is it on? But that sort of layer on top is where, you know, Apple can do something special, I think, that, you know, Disney on its own can't do unless they release a hardware box. But it involves everyone getting along. And so far, we we haven't seen that very much in this arena. Yeah, it's uh, I I have those moments where I think yeah, Apple totally needs to do this, and I have those other moments where I think to myself, why is Apple doing this? <laughs> and I just, I mean, they they do have the money, and having your own exclusives helps you drive, you know, people pay attention to you, and they t- pay attention to your hardware, and I, I guess that's good. But uh, we'll we'll see what form it takes is the big mystery. So yes, let's put that all on our list for 2018. What form will the Apple uh, streaming service or whatever it is, video thing, take? Um, one more break, and then I've got a couple fun things to talk about. Uh, this episode of Download brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today. Pingdom.com. You get a 14-day free trial when you enter the offer code RelayXmas at checkout. How festive. And a whopping 50% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable to everyone. They do that by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services for anyone with a website. By using Pingdom, you can monitor availability and performance on your server, database, or website. There are 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site to make sure it's available as often as every minute. Developers know websites are complicated. They're made up of several dependencies, and when one dependency encounters an outage, it can affect your entire site. Pingdom 
Kingdom's latest tool, Visitor Insights, lets you directly monitor the areas of your site that are affecting your visitors in real time. There are also smart filters to let you isolate specific pages, geographic regions, browsers, platforms, and more. Stuff is breaking on the internet all the time. Every month, Pingdom detects about 13 million outages. That's right. There are more than 400,000 outages every day detected by Pingdom. Don't be one of them. All Pingdom needs is the URL you wish to monitor. They'll take care of everything else. And when they detect an outage, you're immediately alerted so you can fix it before your customers complain. Uh, Check out Pingdom today and be the first to know when your website is down. Go to Pingdom.com for a 14-day free trial and a huge 50% off when you enter the code RelayXmas at checkout. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. Uh, two things before we go. The story you might have missed. Uh, Steven, you found a Kickstarter project that caught your eye. Do you want to tell me what this thing is? I did. So, you know, sometimes people have trouble falling asleep, right? I think we've all probably been there in a stressful time sure. of life. And, you know, some of us have done, tried different things to address this, but I bet you haven't spent $500 on a robot pillow. <laughs> have you? Anyone? Not it. <laughs> No. Okay. no. That's, well, it's good. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you the good news about Sumnox. It is a Kickstarter project that has doubled its $100,000 goal. Uh, the idea is that by snuggling this robot that looks like a pillow, uh, your breathing will eventually sync up to the breathing that it is doing, allowing you to relax and fall asleep faster. As a bonus, it involves a speaker you can use as a white noise machine. Now, there are a few downsides besides you know maybe being murdered by a robot pillow. It's four. It's almost four and a half pounds, so that's a little heavy. Uh-huh. Uh, it has an eight-hour battery life, so you need to charge it every day. And I'd say you just, you just get a dog or a cat or something. But I know. was going to say I have a dog that, despite my best efforts, always ends up on my bed in the middle of the night. <laughs> he seems like he's pretty good. Uh, pretty good at that. Yep, my my cat's the same way. If I bump into the cat in the middle of the night, he just starts purring, and I go back to sleep. It's fine. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> So if you're, you know, allergic to pets, maybe uh, spend 500 bucks on a sleep robot. On a robot pillow. Okay. All right. That's good. Um, before we go, so so this has been a, a nice, uh, fun show talking about the future of entertainment and streaming and things like that. Sometimes our topics get a little heavy, which is why uh, the last few weeks we decided to add the Fuzzy Puppy update to the show. Uh, this week's Fuzzy Puppy update is that the California Academy of Sciences uh, launched their annual Scuba Santa show on Tuesday with about 100 guests watching Santa scuba dive in a large coral reef exhibit. Santa <laughs> answers questions via underwater microphone about the reef and about reindeer during the daily feeding just go look at the photos we'll put it in the show notes try not to smile scuba santa yeah that's a way to spend (laughs) christmas uh underwater that sounds good maybe in a tropical location that's a good mele kalikimaka to everyone and uh we also want to tell you about what we're looking out for in the week ahead we won't be here next week happy holidays merry christmas happy new year we're taking the week off we'll be back on january the 4th and until then we're going to say goodbye uh natalie where can people find all the work that you do they can find it all at the Hollywood Reporter. That's just hollywoodreporter.com or I'm on Twitter at, at NatJar. Awesome. And Julia, where can people find the stuff you do? At polygon.com and also on Twitter at loudmouthjulia. Awesome. And Stephen Hackett, happy new year. I'll see you in two weeks. Sounds good, buddy. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to our first year of download i have been your host jason snell and until two weeks from now we will yeah be watching the headlines a little bit but also opening presents so you don't have to they don't get to open presents that's uh, they don't (laughs) they don't have to they can but they don't have to we're opening their presents for them all right bye everybody